but now I ask as a church family and as those listening as well, if you have your Bibles, would you take them out with me uh, as we study Scripture together? I think it'll be best done if you have a Bible with you in hand as we're studying. And I ask you to open up to the book of Numbers, the fourth book in the Old Testament, fourth book in your entire Bible. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 20, is where we're going to be studying out of this morning. Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 20, here in just a moment. Now as you're turning there, we live in, in, a, in a unique time in history. And I don't mean this, this period of time that we're going through right now. Of course, this is unique and unprecedented in everything that we're experiencing. But we live in a unique time in history as modern-day Americans and in the world in how we relate to our political leaders. We live in a unique time in how we relate to our political leaders. Today, when a leader speaks, their words are debated and argued over. Many express their disapproval for what that leader has just pronounced. And in our country, the words of a government leader are not enacted as law, but are weighed and debated and voted on. And while we do not all agree with one another, of course, in many ways we are all thankful for the system of checks and balances in our American government, are we not? We are thankful we do not have a dictator. And we are thankful for our freedoms as people to question our leaders, to voice our opinions, and even to vote for our convictions. But it has not always been so in world governments throughout history. Many, many people, many of the people who have walked the earth before us have lived under authoritarian rulers. And when those leaders spoke, it had the force of law. When they made a pronouncement, none could question or do anything about it. Now today's message is titled, The Lord Has Spoken. The Lord Has Spoken. And unlike the leaders of our world today, and even unlike the leaders of the past in the world, when the Lord says something is going to happen, it is set in stone. Indeed, it is etched in diamond, we might say. When the Lord says something will happen, it is sure, it is certain. And it is with that knowledge that we come to our text today. If you remember last week, if you were with us in Numbers, we looked at the, the crux of the book of Numbers, and we're still in that scene today. This is the scene where God has sent 12 spies into the land to spy it out, the promised land. And as the people send those spies, the spies come back with a report of the land. Ten of the spies give a negative report and say, we cannot Go take this land from these people. We will be defeated. We cannot do this. Only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, trusted in the Lord and wanted to follow the Lord and what the Lord wanted them to do. The rest of the people followed the ten in their rebellion against the Lord, in their refusal to trust and obey. And in doing so, we come up to this point now that we're at in our text. God pronounces a judgment upon the people. And so when the Lord speaks, pay attention to what he says about what he is saying. And so let's read it together. Numbers chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 20. Verse 20. There we read, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Now we need to stop here briefly because what's he talking about there? Well, we skipped over a portion where Moses prayed for God not to destroy the people. Moses interceded for the people and asked the Lord not to destroy them, much like he did back in Exodus when the people were down 
worshiping a golden calf, and he was up on the mountain with the Lord. He prays yet again for the Lord not to destroy the people. And so the Lord says in verse 20 to Moses, I have pardoned according to your word. Verse 21, but as truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to, te to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness." And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out, excuse me, spy out the land... Only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Now this morning, from that text, I want you to see a few very important principles. Number one is this. God's word is certain. God's word is certain. You ever heard this saying, there's nothing certain but death and taxes? You ever heard that saying? You ever said that saying? Right? Well, there's one more. In fact... It's the only thing more certain than death or even taxes. And it's the promises of God. The promises of God are more certain and more sure than anything in this entire world. The promises of God are so certain and so reliable that as Christians we are willing to stake our eternity on them. They're so reliable. We're willing to stake our eternity on promises on words that we read. Why? Because they are from God. Indeed, throughout church history, there have been many men and women 
over the centuries who have been willing to risk their lives and even give their lives because they believed in the promises of God. Look back at verse 21 with me in the text, if you will. Verse 21. Look how the Lord says, but truly as I live, or as sure as I live. And then he says, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. God is saying, you can bank on what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say, you can bank on it. Right? He's saying, am I alive? God says to the people, am I alive? Of course I'm alive. As surely as I'm alive, what I'm about to say is going to happen. He's saying, do you think the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord? Of course it will. You better believe it will. I'm going to make sure it will. And just as sure as that is to happen, so surely will what I'm about to say come to pass. Look at verse 35. Verse 35 is really where I take the title of the message today, where God says, I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do. The Lord has spoken. When the Lord speaks, you can take it to the bank. Think about that person in your life. Think about that person in your life that you think of that said, when he says something, he's going to do it. When he says something, when he says he's going to do something, it's going to happen, right? The Lord is infinitely more reliable than that. His word is infinitely more reliable than that. Think about that person that you trust more than anyone. That person that every time they say something to you, you, you never wonder whether or not it's the truth or not. You never wonder about what they say because you trust them with everything you have. The Lord is infinitely more trustworthy than that. If you read through the Old Testament, eventually you'll come to the book of Joshua. Now, Joshua is the, the main book where we see the Israelites after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the main place where we see the Israelites going into the promised land and taking the promised land just as the Lord promised. And it's in the Lord's providence and the Lord's miracles that God leads them to do so because in and of themselves they did not have the strength to do it. But they go into the promised land and because of God's faithfulness, because of God's power, they defeat 31 kings and 31 different groups of people. They go 31-0. and 0, Perfect season, okay? And at the end of the book of Joshua, the, the author there, we think it's Joshua, the author there tells us what the book is all about. Tells us the theme of the book of Joshua. In chapter 21, verse 45, we read this. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Not one word failed. Brothers and sisters, that is true today just as much as it was true in Joshua's day. Not one word that the Lord has spoken will ever fail to come to pass. The universe is more likely to implode upon itself than for a word of the Lord to fail. Brothers and sisters, we stand on the word of the Lord. We put our faith and our trust in the word of the Lord, not in governments, not in political leaders, not in the ingenuity of the smartest people in the world, not in the fact that things have gone on the way they have gone for however much they have gone on, not in our own strength, of course, not in our own health, not in our own anything. We stand and we trust the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord is the most trustworthy thing, the most sure thing in the entire universe. 
When God says it, it's as good as done. And so what's that mean for me today? What does that principle mean for me today? Well, it means we can stand every day on the promises. Standing on the promises. You ever sang that song? Standing on the promises. There's so much truth in that. We stand on them. Why? Because they can hold us up. They're strong enough. They're the strongest thing in the whole world. The promises of God can sustain us through any trial or any season. Why? Because we know they are true. We know. Because they're not just the promises of some person. They're the promises of God. God never fails to follow through on his word. And so during this season, I encourage you, take some of the promises of God, some of the more encouraging promises of God to you, memorize them, internalize them, walk around with them, let them speak to you, even when you don't have a Bible in front of your face, because you've internalized it. And it will help you through those times of doubt, those times of uncertainty, those times of anxiety. Listen to what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 41.10. This is one of those promises. He says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. Or perhaps this next one might strike a chord with your heart. Isaiah 41.17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Isaiah 41.17. How true and how fitting for our current moment. But brothers and sisters, we don't just need promises for our current moment. We need promises to stand on for our entire lives. We need promises for eternity, do we not? One of the promises that I have memorized over the years and that my mind brings up time and time again, it's the Spirit of the Lord bringing it up to me time and time again, is Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I've got to let that preach to me all the time. When I feel condemnation, when I'm tempted to think that God would condemn me because of how sinful I am, I have to remind myself, I have to remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have to let passages like Psalm 103 verse 10 preach to me and to my heart. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Brothers and sisters, what, what better time than now to memorize a few of the promises of God and walk around with them every day and have them give you comfort and support and strength even when a Bible's not in front of your face. Now, I want you to see something in our text, though. I want you to see what happened later in this chapter. We haven't read this part yet, but go to chapter 14, starting in verse 39. I want you to see this because it's vitally important. We don't need to miss this part. Isaiah, cha or, I'm sorry, Numbers, chapter 14, starting in verse 39. There we read, When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. 
And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country. Now, stop here for a second. What you would expect to happen is a revival, a, a turning to the Lord, a, 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 a people saying, we're going to submit to the Lord no matter what now. We're going to come back to the Lord. It's not what happens. Look at what happens. Verse 40, right in the middle, it says, The people said, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you now transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there are Amalekites and the Canaanites who are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned back from following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. Now notice what happens here. They say, oh, that, that wandering and dying in the wilderness... That promise, that sounds awful. Actually, now we'd like to go. We'd like to go up to the promised land now. We've changed our minds, right? And Moses warns them. Moses says, God's not with you anymore. You can't do this. God is not coming. God is not favoring you anymore. He has withdrawn his hand from you. And they say, no, 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 we're going to do it now. We're, we're sorry about earlier. And so think about this. First, they refuse to go into the promised land because of unbelief. And now... They insist on going in still through unbelief. They're failing to believe the, the word that the Lord has spoken. They're saying in their hearts, e even though the Lord said we must depart from here, even though, even though the Lord said not one of us is going to enter in, we will die in the wilderness, we know that's what God said, but, but we're going to go ahead and do what we think is right anyway. You see what's happening here. This is as old as the Garden of Eden. I know what the Lord said, but I want to make my own decision for what's good for me and my family. They insist on going, and yet again, they do not believe what the Lord has spoken. I can't help, when I read this, I can't help but thinking of those right now who refuse to submit to the requests of our government and are not staying home, are not practicing social distancing during this time. Indeed, some of these are even churches. It's like we think because we're the people of God, we will be miraculously protected from everything. Brothers and sisters, not if the Lord has spoken. The Israelites at first refused to go into the promised land, but later, when God told them to leave, they insisted on going in. How many people... Before all of this quarantine stuff happened, how many people did not value, did not put a priority on the gathering with the body of Christ, the gathering of the local church? How many people would, would miss for lesser things and not come to Sunday worship unless they, they felt like it? And now that the government is requesting that we refrain from gathering, they are insisting on attending worship. I cannot help but see a modern-day parallel here to what we just read. Brothers and sisters, the lesson here is God's word is sure. It is certain. When he speaks, it's as good as done. Now, I want you to see, what is his word, though? 
Let's focus on what his word is here. What does he pronounce? What did he speak? He pronounces judgment on the people of Israel. God pronounces judgment. He tells them instead of seeing the promised land, now they will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Those who refused to trust him were prevented from entering the promised land. Look back at verses 22 and 23 with me. Verse 22, God says, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. We cannot miss this. Of all the lessons from this, the most well-known story in the book of Numbers, of all the lessons from this passage and from these two chapters, 13 and 14, the lesson that is the most obvious and the most important is this. Those who do not trust God in faith will not enter his promised paradise. Those who do not trust God in faith will not enter his promised paradise. It's true then, it is true now. God's promise is sure. Yes, God's promise of a promised land, that is sure. But there are conditions for receiving this free gift. There are conditions for receiving what God promises. You must act in faith. You must act in faith. You must follow the Lord in faith. God loves the world, yes. He loves the entire world. But we must come to him on his terms. We must come to him on his terms. And those who do not will be sent away into an eternal wilderness. An eternal wilderness. See, the promised land was rich and plentiful and wonderful. And the wilderness was a barren wasteland full of loneliness and dangers. And that that same thing is true for eternity. We've got a promised land in eternity before us. And we have a wilderness, a barren wasteland full of loneliness and dangers before us. And we need to spend time thinking about the reality of eternal life. The fact that every person who's ever lived and every person who's alive right now will spend eternity in one of two places. Spend time thinking about that, brothers and sisters. For those who do not yet know Jesus, perhaps there's someone watching this or listening to this later who doesn't know Jesus. Have you spent any significant time thinking about where you will spend eternity? I I beg of you, spend time thinking about it. Ponder it. There is nothing more important. For those who do know Jesus... Let this burden your heart for those who do not yet know him. Let this burden your heart. Let this motivate you to share the gospel, to take Jesus out to those who desperately need him. Charles Spurgeon once said, Meditate with deep solemnity upon the fate of the lost sinner. And like Abraham, when you get up early to go to the place where you commune with God, cast an eye towards Sodom. And see the smoke thereof going up like the smoke of a furnace. Shun all views of future punishment which would make it appear less terrible. And so take off the edge of your anxiety to save immortal souls from the quenchless flame. Good gracious, people don't talk like that anymore. We could do a whole sermon on that right there. Think about the reality of eternity 
and let it burden you for those who do not know Jesus. Now notice in our text, God's judgment includes him giving them what they said they wanted. God's judgment includes him giving the Israelites what they said they wanted. Look back at verse 2 in your your Bibles. Same chapter, chapter 14. Look at verse 2. Notice what the Israelites say in verse 2. It says, And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation, said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or, watch this, Would that we had died in this wilderness. Now look down at verse 28. Verse 28. God says, Moses, Aaron, say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do. He's referring back to that. What you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. You see, God gives them what they said they wanted. They said, it would be better for us to die in the wilderness than to go up into this promised land and risk our lives for this place. God says, fine. I'll give you that. You've pronounced your own judgment. You know, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and he once wrote that there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. You see what he's saying there? There There are people who submit to God and say, God, your will be done. And then there are those who refuse to submit, who refuse to follow the Lord, who refuse to put their trust in Him. And God says, fine, I will give you what your will is. And what that is, is something that that no one would ever want if they could think clearly about that. Think about this. God gives us what we want if we reach a point where we have turned our backs on Him so many times. He may very well give us what we want And how horrible would that be? Think about this. Think about this. If you do not love the glory of God. If you do not love the worship of God. If you do not love the beauty of Jesus. And the joy of serving others now. If you do not love those things now. What makes you think you will like heaven? Heaven is full of those things. That's what heaven is. And God may very well say to people at the judgment, you did not have a taste for any of these things. And so I will give you what you want, separation from me. In Romans 1, we read a frightening account of God giving people up to their sinful desires. He essentially takes away his protective hand and allows them to fling themselves unreservedly into sin and to experience the negative consequences of it. God gives them what they wanted. But notice here also in our text how God does not allow all their words to come come true. Now look back with me once again. Look at verse 3 in chapter 14. Verse 3. In verse 3 it says, again this is the people talking, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? They say, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Now go down to verse 31. 31. Here God speaks and he says, but your little ones who you said would become a prey, 
I will bring in. I will bring them in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. You see, part of their defense originally of not following what the Lord wanted them to do was they said, our, our little children are going to become a prey in this land. And so God says, actually, no, your children will enter, but you won't get to see them do it. Part of their punishment is that they will not see the joy of their children enjoying the promised land. Their children will get their chance. After the 40 years of wandering, their children will get their chance to trust God and to take the land, but it won't happen for 40 more years. For now they must wander in the wilderness. God says later, they will suffer for your unfaithfulness. And that too is part of their punishment. Their children suffer in the wilderness for their unfaithfulness. The consequences, brothers and sisters, the consequences of the sins of the parents affect children, do they not? This is a principle that we see working itself out in our world. Even though God does not punish, spiritually punish our children for our misdeeds, our sins, if we are parents, our sins affect the lives of our children in negative ways. We all know this. Divorce. When divorce happens, it affects children. Pregnant mothers who take drugs or alcohol more often than not receive an, a, a, an effect on their babies when they are born. Some parents neglect and abuse their children, leading to all kinds of suffering, including sometimes children growing up without a true mother or father. And so God has worked this into the way that the world works even though he will not punish children for the sins of their parents, he will not punish parents for the sins of their children, it says multiple times in the Old Testament. But the sins that we commit have consequences, and those consequences don't just stay here. They affect others as well. And so God pronounces judgment. The Lord has spoken. He has pronounced a judgment. And the rest of the book of Numbers will see the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years years for 40 years because of what happened here at the edge on the brink of the promised land but brothers and sisters I want you to also see that God pronounces something very different to Joshua and Caleb look back at verse 24 verse 24 in chapter 14 he says but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Again, look at verse 30. God says, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now why? Why Caleb and Joshua? Because out of the twelve spies who came back with a report of the land, only Caleb and Joshua trusted in God. Only Caleb and Joshua were willing to step out in faith and follow the Lord where he wanted them to go. And brothers and sisters, God offers the same to us today. To any who would turn from their sin and put their faith and their trust in Jesus, in God's Son, and take him as their Lord and Savior, to any who would do that, God offers the promised land. God offers salvation. You can be saved this morning. If you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus, if you will repent of your sins and turn away from the life you have lived, if you will refuse to be your own Lord anymore and give your life to Christ, 
if you will put him on in baptism, you can be saved. You can be saved. One of the things that I need to tell everyone listening during this time, during this unprecedented time of social distancing, the, the salvation of the Lord is still as urgent as it ever was. Perhaps you're feeling it might be felt as more urgent now than it ever has been. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can do that. You can do that. But part of that involves baptism. And we, we offer that to anyone who wants to give their life to Jesus during this time. You don't have to be baptized during a church service to be baptized before the Lord and to have Him wash your sins away and be saved. We offer that to everyone listening, to anyone, especially anyone in the area who, who feels a burden of needing to be saved during this time. Don't wait. Don't wait till everybody's coming back to church. It might be too late. Now, today, is the day of salvation. But refusing to trust Him, refusing to follow Him, means death in the wilderness. Refusing to follow Him means death in the wilderness. You see, God's judgment on the people was just. It was fitting. It was fitting. Those who refused to believe could not enter. Those who said they would rather die in the wilderness would die in the wilderness. It was fitting. Forty years in the wilderness. One year for every single day that they spied out the land. God's judgment was fitting. It was fair. But you see, when, when I used to teach teenagers, I used to ask them all the time to kind of prep their hearts for, for the gospel. I used to ask them all the time, how many of y'all want God to treat you fairly at the judgment day? When you stand before the, the throne of God at judgment, how many of you want God to treat you fairly? And of course, all the hands would go up. But the answer, my friends, is no. None of us wants God to treat us fairly. If our punishment was fitting, that would mean an eternity in the wilderness. If God gave me a fitting judgment, that would mean punishment for all eternity. We don't want God to treat us fairly at the judgment. You see, the way of fairness, the way of justice works like this. If you break the commandments, you suffer the penalty. But if you keep the commandments, you escape the penalty. That's the way of fairness, the way of justice. Break the commandments, suffer the penalty, right? If you have sinned, the, the just condemnation is eternal death. The wages of sin is death. It's what God owes us, right? But then the second part of that statement there, break the commandments, suffer the penalty. The second part says, keep the commandments, escape the penalty. But only one has ever been in that category, right? That's Jesus. Only one has ever kept all the commandments and done all the good that he was always supposed to do and been completely and 100% faithful to God, never sinned. That's Jesus, so he escapes the penalty. That's the way of fairness, brothers and sisters. That's the way of justice. We can't get to heaven that way. None of us have any hope through the way of fairness or the way of justice, but there's another way. There's the way of grace. And the way of grace goes like this. It's the exact opposite. Break the commandments, escape the penalty. Break the commandments, escape the penalty. If you come to God for His grace that He gives to those who put their faith in Jesus, that even though you have broken His commandments, you can escape the penalty. But the second part is also true. Keep the commandments, suffer the penalty. You see, in the way of grace, it's completely unfair. And that second statement seems 
especially unfair, does it not? Keep the commandments, suffer the penalty? That doesn't make any sense. Again, only one has ever been in that category. Only one has ever kept all the commandments and yet suffered the penalty. And his name is Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God forsook Jesus on the cross. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook his only son. He poured out his wrath on his only son so that we would never be forsaken. So that we would not have to experience the wrath of God. 